0: Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Cause I've got my strength And it don't make sense Not to keep on pushing The time has come for America to hear the truth About this tragic war That the hottest places in hell Are reserved for those who in a period of moral crisis maintain their neutrality there comes a time when silence is betrayal The truth of these words is beyond doubt but the mission to which they call us is the most difficult one even when pressed by the demands of inner truth men do not easily assume the task of opposing their government's policy, especially in time of war. Big stone, war, stands there ahead of me. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really does not matter with me now, because I've been to the mountaintop. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. the coming of the Lord. all
1: right all right all right that's martin luther king jr of course this is martin luther king jr day and i wanted to share that video because i think it's so important to unite the civil rights movement to unite the anti-war movement anti-imperial movement and also unite labor and the working class and the poor movements and bringing them all together is the winning coalition that i think martin luther king ultimately found at the end of his life and we need to bring that together i think in our struggles ahead so i'm going to read an essay that i wrote last year Um, about my experience in Richmond, Virginia on Martin Luther King Day, and it was a a very interesting time, and it's about a 15-20 minute essay. But before that, I want to show a short little interview I did right when I got there on two hours sleep. And uh, I think a lot of people may know the person I interviewed because she's in the news a lot these days. And so, I'm going to share that right now.
2: Farguns.com.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, if you wanna move over. this building
2: yeah. Oh, it sounds like they're starting.
1: All right, yeah, let's do this quick. All right. Uh, let me make sure. Can we look at you or the camera? Uh, you can look at me. I think, or I mean, you can kind of see it
2: through
1: there. All right, here we are outside the state capitol building in Virginia. And um, why are you here? And and what's your name? And what what cause are you here for?
2: My name is Lauren Boebert, and I am here to stand with the good people of Virginia because America is watching, the world is watching, and they are setting a precedent for what is going to, to happen in other states. We want them to stand strong because if they fall, we all fall, and everyone is coming after our freedoms. We are electing officials to secure our rights, and they're not doing that. They're selling them away to the highest bidder, and it's time that regular Americans wake up, step up, become engaged, involved, and active in their communities, and even begin to run for office. We, the people, need to take back the office. We see here in Virginia right now that they have a fence Around the people's house, and that's not right. And uh, you know, uh, there's threats of our First Amendment being um, just absolutely annihilated here today—no pun intended. Um, and we're just—we're just here to talk about our rights and fight for them.
1: And and where are you coming from?
2: Rifle, Colorado. Yes, I own uh, Shooters Grill in Rifle, Colorado. All of the waitresses open carry firearms, and I have been an advocate for the Second Amendment for nearly seven years uh, which just opened a big door to an advocacy for freedom and America and our Constitution and the great people in our nation and uh, because of that I've taken actions like confronting former presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke when he came to Aurora Colorado and after he emphatically stated hell yes we're gonna take your AR-15s and your AK-47s I drove three hours to his rally with my Glock on my hip and I told him hell no you are not. And I didn't stop there. I'm gonna to continue to fight for the people because I'm running for Congress in Colorado's third congressional district.
1: All right. So how they can how can people learn more about you?
2: You go to keep our dot com to join this grassroots movement to get we the people back in charge of this country.
1: All right, thank you very much. You. So as you can see, um, Didn't really have any pushback. I was on two hours sleep, drove from DC to Richmond that day and just kind of wanted to go there and document and uh, not really push back on anything. I just wanted to kind of see what was going on because as I understood it in Martin Luther King Day in Virginia and Richmond, there was a huge um, call out for people to come out and really um showcase their second amendment rights to open carry firearms and there was just some talk that um this movement is going to be the movement that we're going to see you know over the course of the 2020 presidential campaign into 2021 so even January 6th um a lot of people are shocked and surprised i think people just haven't been really watching what's going on and and what a lot of americans are upset about so at the same time i have a different take than a lot of people and i want to put it into an essay and i'm going to read that right now and this is a year ago when i wrote it before covid and before the presidential election was really even determined on the uh democratic side so i'm going to share my screen and just read along and follow along as I read. What I saw in Richmond, Martin Luther King Day, January 2020. The ghosts of the American Civil War continues to haunt us today. The Civil War officially ended with the surrender of the secessionist leadership of the Confederate Army on April 9, 1865. Six days later, Abraham Lincoln was murdered by Confederate assassins. The death of President Lincoln was also the death knell of his peace plan to reconstruct and industrialize the South, integrate the US economy through rail and internal improvements, reform land rights and redistribute power away from the southern aristocracy to landless white peasants and former black slaves. Yet since the end of the Civil War, the failed promise of uprooting the cancerous seeds of poverty, racism, and exploitation means they have only grown and strengthened throughout the land. Without hyper-attention to organize a collective solution, we may see this wonderful and messy project called democracy come to an indefinite pause in the near future as 2020 unfolds i sometimes feel like the ideology that drove the mind of the southern confederate traitors who ultimately surrendered after losing the battle they started are now finally many generations later on the verge of winning their war labor dear friends is at the heart of slavery what does liberty and what does liberty and tyranny do have to do with labor lincoln provided an answer the world has never had a good definition of the word liberty and the American people just now are much in want of one. We all declare for liberty, but in using the same word, we do not all mean the same thing. With some, the word liberty may mean for each man to do as he pleases with himself and the product of his labor. While with others, the same word may mean for some men to do as they please with other men and the product of other men's labor. Here are two not only different but incompatible things called by the same name, Liberty. And it follows that each of the things is by the respective parties called by two different and incompatible names, Liberty and tyranny. The shepherd drives the wolf from the sheep's throat for which the sheep thanks the shepherd as a liberator while the wolf denounces him for the same act as the destroyer of Liberty, especially as the sheep was a black one. Plainly, the sheep and the wolf are not agreed upon a definition of the word liberty. Liberty is more than just freedom from tyranny. To be free, you need to own the product of your labor and the tools to produce it on land that is yours. When you own the means of production and you sell a product, you retain your freedom. But when all you have to sell is your labor, in essence, you're selling yourself and losing freedom. This forgotten concept of wage slavery was widely discussed around the time of the Civil War. Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist, author, orator, former slave and US ambassador to Haiti after their successful slave revolt against France, remarked on labor by writing, experience demonstrates that there may be a slavery of wages only a little less galling and crushing in its effects than chattel slavery and that this slavery of wages must go down with the other. In Alex Skorovich's essay, Our Forgotten Labor Revolution, he writes, Lincoln himself had declared prior to the war that free labor was not the same as wage labor. The prudent, penniless beginner in the world labors for wages a while, saves a surplus with which to buy tools or land for himself, then labors on his own account another while. This is free labor. The promise of American freedom was that everyone might enjoy this full independence. Through Lincoln's 1863 Emancipation Proclamation and the Union Army's victory over the secessionists, the United States outlawed labor's most degraded form called chattel slavery, which makes one person the owner of another person as his property. Gorovich outlines how the Civil War saw the largest uncompensated expropriation of property in American history, the abolition of slavery. Nullifying slave owners property and persons meant returning personhood to the slaves. It also extinguished roughly half the value of all Southern assets, which in today's prices amounts to roughly 3 trillion. Many men have killed and went to war for losing far, far less. What do you think the Confederates did after their civil war? Did they accept and repent for starting the war? Did they accept the terms of surrender? Or did they reorganize and redouble their effort to take back what they believe is their God-given right? The ideological psychosis that drives a culture to justify slavery has been with us since Babylon. And yet we will continue to fight it just the same. And never forget wage and chattel slavery are two wolf's heads on the same slave driver coin. Unfortunately, only one side of the coin has been worn down. The failed, the failed reconstruction of the South. Here was a possible meaning of reconstruction. All forms of economic dependence are incompatible with free citizenship. The name of freedom being without property and dependent on employers was a condition that also had to be abolished. Free people had a right to some share of the means of production be it land or some other productive property. They even had a right to take it from those who opposed this equal freedom. Northerners who fought in the name of this freedom or who supported the northern cause also believed they had a right to property, to full and equal freedom. This is a quote, again, from Alex Gorovich. The night Lincoln was assassinated, his powerful wartime secretary of state, William Seward, was knifed repeatedly by another assassin but luckily survived his wounds newly appointed vice president andrew johnson lucked out when his would-be assassin allegedly got drunk instead and decided to abandon the whole intricate plot after lincoln's murder by confederates johnson became president he was a democrat from tennessee and he was a slaveholder with a confederate loyalist installed as president the plan to rein in the oligarchy of the south and expand economic freedom for all was left in the hands of the radical Republicans who were a strong left-wing force who pushed Lincoln through the war to always do more for the people against the feudal lords of the Confederacy. As you could imagine, the radical Republicans were a little fired up about 600,000 dead American soldiers and the nation turned upside down through a war of choice, a war of rebellion against natural law. And at the end of it all, the great Lincoln, who preserved the Union against these small vain tyrants, was slain at a theater with his wife five days after the Confederacy surrender. The radical Republicans wanted to punish the British-aligned Southern oligarchs and were against allowing these ex-Confederate military officers who sought to retake political power in the South, which was occupied by Union troops under martial law. The radical Republicans passed legislation that directed the federal government to ease the transition from slavery to freedmen through the establishment of political, economic, and civil rights for former slaves. They passed the Freedmen's Bureau Act that gave ex-slaves any of the civil rights or immunities belonging to white persons, including the right to inherit, purchase, lease, sell, hold, and convey real and personal property and to have full and equal benefit of all laws and proceedings for the security of persons in a state, including the constitutional right of bearing arms. Yet the promise of land reform, 40 acres and a mule, and support to form Black militias as protection from the Confederate wolves were explicitly reversed and annulled by President Johnson, who emphasized wage labor, not land ownership for Blacks. Almost all land allocated during the war was restored to its pre-war white owners. As Johnson vetoed and blocked reconstruction legislation, Congress impeached Johnson. Yet the conviction failed in the Senate by one vote in 1868. During this time, the Southern and Northern ruling classes began to align their interests. According to Gorovich, Northern Republicans, aligned with former Confederates, agreed to end Reconstruction of the South when the industrialists, merchants, and financiers that made up the heart of the party started to fear that workers in the North were taking the promise of emancipation too seriously. By 1872, Congress voted to completely shut down the Freedmen's Bureau. Around this time, Jim Crow laws exploded through the US, which enforced racial segregation. The secessionists continued to consolidate political and economic power. 30 years after the war in 1896, Jim Crow was codified by a Confederate ideology in the US Supreme Court that upheld Plessy versus Ferguson. The separate but equal legal doctrine became the law of the land. Reconstruction failed because workers were seeking to liberate their labor from another's control, both in the South and the North. Despite a battle won, the war continues on. Jefferson Davis, the Confederate Fuhrer, a case study in anti-American hero worship. With this history in mind, I arrived in Richmond, Virginia on Monday, January 20th, 2020. I sought to witness a gun rally in front of the Virginia State House on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Richmond served as the capital of the Confederate States of America The president of the Southern Traders was Jefferson Davis, who organized the rebellion at the White House of the Confederacy, based a few blocks from the Virginia State House. I heard about the absurd idea that large statues of Confederate leaders are adorned along Monument Avenue, so I wanted to see them with my own eyes. As I ruminated on the Civil War and all the Union dead caused by an oligarchic clique I wondered why a country would permit the rehabilitation of Confederates. As I headed west along Monument Avenue, the roundabout came into focus. There he was, Jefferson Davis in beautiful grandeur displayed as a war hero. What would the world think if citizens in Vienna, Austria or Munich, Germany created a similar warship statue of Chancellor Adolf Hitler? The attempt at rehabilitating traitorous war criminals would be internationally condemned. As I continued to drive down Monument Avenue, I saw more warship statues of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, Confederate General J.E.B. Stewart, Confederate General Stonewall Jackson, and Confederate Navy commander Matthew Fontaine Maury. These traitorous insurrectionist worship statues are littered throughout Richmond like rehabilitated Nazi soldiers. Confederate symbols like these have been publicly placed throughout the US subconsciously encoded in the dark id of our culture. As of 2015, researchers documented almost 200 schools named after Confederate traitors. The US military alone has 10 bases named after Confederate soldiers. Don't forget that the Confederates lost. We are naming our military bases, not only after traitors, but losers. This is a scandal and a disgrace. Maybe this is why the US hasn't won a war since World War II, but I digress. So when and where did this movement come from? When did it become acceptable to publicly worship anti-American traitors? The chart below shows the formation of the fascist white robe Ku Klux Klan. In 1866 as a stormtrooper movement to intimidate the freedmen. Yet only a handful of Confederate sites were erected for a generation after the Civil War, which makes sense since much of the Union soldiers hated everything the traitors stood for. Plessy versus Ferguson opened the era of public worship like never before. There appears a short, full, a, a sh- there appears a short lull of insurrection worship for a few years after the defeat of the Nazis in World War II. Yet the number of reactionary traitorous worship monuments exploded in response to labor and civil rights struggles around the 1960s. And the Confederate monuments kept getting built through the 1990s and into the 21st century. And I'm showing a graph now of when these Different monuments were put up. This graph was created by the Southern Poverty Law Center. And a lot of these monuments came down over the summer because of BLM activists taking them down. Apparently, some continue to hope that the insurrection will happen again. Or maybe these statues should serve as a reminder of the near universal status of the US worker as dependent on wage labor with little to no property no hope for true freedom and independence. Meanwhile, the day of reckoning moves closer. So this brings me to MLK Jr. Day in Richmond, Virginia. Must confess, I'm extremely fond of Martin Luther King Jr. I'm obsessed with listening to his speeches and reading his writings. The more I learn, the more I find one of the most courageous philosophical individuals who was promoting universal love and strategic organizing propelled by a network of the most conscientious activists in the nation. Before his assassination on April 5, 1968, King was organizing a Poor People's March on Washington DC to address the wage labor issue where people did not own the means of production and thus were not free. The fact that 75% of Americans widely disliked King at the time of his death is probably why it took until the year 2000 for all 50 states to recognize the federal holiday, which was officially signed into law in 1983. In Virginia, MLK Day was combined with the century old Lee Jackson Day, named after Confederate Generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. And in the year 2000, Lee Jackson Day was moved to the Friday before MLK Day, which falls on the third Monday of every January. The Virginia Citizens Defense League VCDL was incorporated in 1998. And according to VCDL President Philip Van Cleve, pro-gun citizens have been showing up to lobby Virginia state representatives at the Virginia Capitol building in Richmond every January 20th since 2003. However, the tension was ratcheted up for the Virginia's lobby day in 2020 because Democrats flipped the Virginia Senate and House with the Democrat as governor. The legislature is in a position to pursue a progressive agenda including raising the virginia's minimum wage which is currently the federal minimum floor of seven dollars and 25 cents per hour the virginia senate also passed bills to require background checks and all firearm sales limit handgun purchases to one a month and restore local government's right to ban weapons from public buildings and other venues and despite the first four words of the second amendment discussing government rules around gun ownership i.e a well-regulated militia many gun owners tend to focus on the last four words i.e shall not be infringed attendance for the gun rally expanded beyond virginia as vcdl with trump's encouragement put a call out to militias from across the united states to provide security for the rally Governor Ralph Northam declared a state of emergency, banning any weapons on Capitol grounds until the Tuesday evening after the rally. To add more fuel to the fire, six neo-Nazis who are allegedly part of the base were arrested just days before the rally. The Georgia arrest came a day after three other suspected neo-Nazis affiliated with the base were arrested in Maryland. One of the men, Patrick Matthews, fled Canada earlier last year after his white supremacy ties were discovered. A former reservist in the Canadian Army, Matthews trained as a combat engineer and is an explosives expert. With all the threats of violence, the annual Martin Luther King Day vigil and day of advocacy was canceled. Thankfully, the day ended without violence. But I've been struck by a comment made by the Virginia delegate Lee Carter from NASA who received numerous death threats and was forced to stay at a safe house out of fear for his safety instead of doing his job as a legislator on lobby day. He's often the most progressive member of the Virginia legislature by introducing bills on public workers' rights to strike and raising the minimum wage. But when responding to his views about gun laws, he said, there are a lot of other proposals that mainstream Democrats are floating that I don't support because my fundamental view on this is, anybody who Nazi, Nazis, anybody who Nazis would want to murder, should have the means to stop a Nazi from murdering them. It should be noted too that Lee Carter was, uh, is a veteran. Reflections from MLK Day in Richmond. As I walked through the crowd, I felt the ghost of the American Civil War and imagined that this is what a modern day Confederate insurrection will look like 160 years later after the first Confederate shot on Fort Sumter. But I saw no overt bigotry at the rally and despite the rally being predominantly white male, males with beards and guns, there were a small number of females and non white Americans who also carrying guns and supporting the rally. In fact, there was deep solidarity in the crowd. Yet I would advise these fellow citizens to turn their gaze and celebrate MLK Day by doing good works that remind us of the need to eliminate poverty for ourselves and our fellow Americans, in which 60% can't afford a $1,000 emergency. This is the hand to mouth existence that once described as wage slavery, in which a person lacks ownership of the means of production without surplus, without land, with ever increasing debt and deeper holes of poverty. I would have preferred that we marched together to the Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond a few blocks away and demand low interest loans through the Federal Reserve discount window to rebuild infrastructure through the Mid-Atlantic region and create high paying union wage jobs. Why not protest how small businesses and construction firms are ready to employ millions of workers to rebuild the country yet are getting nothing from the Trump administration while Fed banker Jay Powell gooses the stock market and repo market for all of Trump's rich banker friends. The whole economy is on the verge of collapse. More than $6 trillion has gone to prop up Wall Street zombie banks over the last several months. Without the US Fed Reserve, the markets would be down, down, down. Side note, this is January 2020. This is before COVID, before BLM, before all of the shutdowns, before the run on the banks in March. Instead of addressing the rise of dictatorships, the economic crisis, the cusp of large-scale warfare with nuclear potential, and now a global flu pandemic, many are lulled to sleep from overstimulation and pure exhaustion, dreaming dreaming a false consciousness that smart humanitarian billionaires care about us. And if working if working classes remain divided and pitted against each other, our failed union cannot repel the rising 21st century Confederate ideology. Of course, many of the people at the rally are extremely wealthy. Being a gun enthusiast can be an expensive hobby as your collection expands, and you spend hundreds of dollars on ammunition enjoying the bullets explosion. So I presume many of the well off of the rally don't give a shit about poor people. Before leaving Richmond, I found hope as I walked along the James River during sunset and saw the remains of a bridge that Confederate trader Jefferson Davis used when he fled Richmond, defeated as a Union army led by a General Ulysses S. Grant entered the city. Davis was eventually captured by Union forces in Irwinville, Georgia. Rumor has it that he was dressed as a woman trying to sneak away. Despite being routed on the way to inevitable surrender, the retreating Confederates burnt down Richmond and blew up the bridge over the James River, which only delayed the Union victory by days while creating damage and immiseration for Virginians. Day later, President Lincoln toured the charred city by foot and he visited the former White House of the Confederacy and the Virginia State Capitol. And he left these immortal words a few days before his death. Thank God that I lived to see this. I too look forward to seeing the day when the Confederate ideology is vanquished from the earth. And only a united front will defeat the Confederates, as was done before. I just hope we unify before they burn everything down on their way out.